Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest. I'm so excited to connect to this guest. This guest sent me a, a bucket of M&Ms recently, and my family had so much fun picking out all the orange ones. I don't know if, Terry, you even necessarily remember that, but we had a lot of fun doing that. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Clubhouse celebrity himself, Terry Torline. Terry, what's Thank up? you very much, Jason. I appreciate being here. It's a lot of fun. I don't even know if you remember why I sent that uh, the, those M and M's to you. You know what? I, when I was saying it out loud, I was trying to remember. I'll be honest with you, I don't. So I, just, you, I, I, I came across you on a podcast. You were talking about a guy who paid like a hundred dollars for five minutes of your time, but you oh, said, "Hey, right. you know, a bag of M and M's would have would have got you know it got a minute of my time." So I'm like, "Well, all right, I'll send him a whole you know 16, 64 ounce or a gallon jug of M and M's." I started to do this process. The problem is it cost me about $72 at the end of the day <laughs> to ship from the United States into Canada to go through customs to get to you in order to send you those M&Ms. So those were the most expensive M&Ms that you the, Those are the most expensive sure. M&Ms. Um, you can use Amazon next time, by the way, if you ever want to do that again. I, but- <laughs> next time I'll know better. But you know what though? Actually, I think that's a perfect story because it kind of goes in line with the first subject that we wanted to start talking with today. But actually, I'm going to back up one second because um, before we get into this, you see, I'm so excited to get into this subject that I'm actually skipping what I think the most important parts of our podcast, and that's the origin stories. You know, for everyone yeah. out there that's watching and listening right now, Terry, and don't know your background, how you kind of got started in the industry, what is the story of how Terry got into this crazy little world we call the automotive industry. <laughs> so I was in uh, subprime back in uh, in the 90s and started a subprime finance company back in uh, in the late 90s. Um, was successful, successful. Then it got taken over. The, the line of credit got taken over by Ford. Um, ended up by uh, selling out to, to Ford back in uh, early 2000s. And Ford wanted me to marshal some cars through the auction. So I ended up at the auction in order to help them out on, on some cars. Um, and that opportunity turned into, you know, meeting car dealers and opened my eyes to the other side, if you will, of the, of the car side. And I wanted to get into the retail side. Um, unfortunately, I got derailed and ended up in the detail side. So for 12 years, I owned a detail company and really loved that piece because I grew up on a farm back in the Midwest Love working with my hands. Love, you know, at the end of the day, the blue collar philosophy. Um, love working with my hands. I got involved in the chemicals from waxes and polishes and sealants and ceramics and those types of things and was approached um, in about 2014 by a company that we were very successful in selling their product, asked me to come, al- come aboard and do training for them. Nice. Um, so got into the sealant world that way. Um, left there about a year ago. Uh, started Exogloss with True Warranty and have been just extremely happy ever since. It's been a great opportunity, but my, my basis or my root comes back from uh, doing subprime loans and then working into the chemical side of the world. You know what? I, I actually really love that kind of side of the business because I think there's just there's there's so many things that a lot of people don't realize 
uh, kind of the, the little nuances. And in fact, actually, we're going to, have to save that because that's a whole other podcast in itself. And I think you'd be a cool, a cool one to do that with. You know, before we started recording today, we we were talking about a few different topics, and it's funny we were talking about the M M&M and M story before we got into your origin story because I think this is perfect to kind of segue into our first topic was kind of like how do we cut through that noise? Um, it seems like during the last twelve months, everybody's become a content creator, and everybody is focusing on building their their personal and professional brand. So much so, it's like it's like how do you cut through that noise? And you know, I mean, Terry, when I think about it, I mean, I, I get I get LinkedIn DM all the time. Hey, Jason, I want sure. I want to show you my product. I want to I want to I want fifteen minutes of your time. That that it, it daily daily I get that, but you know the seventy two dollars worth of M and M's. Um, <laughs> I still think it's hilarious that it costs that much to shift. But, <laughs> it was but, great. But the fun thing is I will never forget that. And it's not – see, look, the thing is it's not the monetary amount, all right, that that made the big difference. It's the fact that that, that you listened and and you took something that I had said in passing in one of my podcasts and you took it, you owned it, and then you converted it into real action. And I think that's actually probably you know one of many different ways that we can cut through the noise. I know you have a couple ideas as well as how we kind of cut through that noise. What are some of the methods that you have? So we are all guilty of that uh, of that noise piece, and we're all guilty of that you know sending that DM that says. Um, I'm going to double, you know, whatever you're making right now, I'm going to double that. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to yep. double your penetration. I'm going to double your gross profit. Well, you don't even know what my gross profit is. You don't know what my exactly. penetration is. How are you going to double it without even knowing? It doesn't matter. We're going to double it. And, and, and there's a lot of people that are guilty of that. And so the DMs that you're talking about is, 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 is of that. It's a challenge. Um, so my method is to do that needs assessment. It's not mm-hmm. different from selling the car. If you go in and try and sell, um, a, a, a person, a, a electric vehicle, and they're in the construction business, well, clearly you've got them on the wrong vehicle. You need to do a needs assessment. How do you plan on driving this car? What is it that you do? And do the needs assessment with the, with the, the customers or with, your, with the dealer, with the dealer principal. Um, what are your needs? What are your pain points? What are the problems that you're having with your current product? If you're not having problems, what can we do from a product process or a people standpoint in order to help you out? If you do that needs assessment, and at the end of it, sometimes, and it's come across a, you know on, on a few occasions where you go, hey, I think you're doing pretty good right now. I don't see really any benefit that I can bring to you today, but do you mind if we keep in touch? And over time, maybe there's going to be an opportunity for us to do business. But if you don't do that needs assessment uh, up front, you're probably going to turn the uh, your audience off real quick. So well, you that know what, is, though? I think this, the art of a need assessment has kind of gone away, though. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, look, that, that's it, it was it was um, it was a very big part, I feel, of my success early on in selling in selling vehicles was that need assessment. I feel like now we've kind of gotten to the point now where a need assessment is more like a proverbial box that we just have to check off. Like, okay, right. I did it, you know, so I can move on to the next step, right? But what it really, really means to have that that need assessment is actually connect. That's the whole point. The whole point behind it is that we wanted to connect with that person at a, at a human to human level. And I hate to say it, you know, this is not this is true both in the dealer world and in the vendor world. A lot of that's gone. I mean, it seems like people want to create content, create brands, not with the intent to connect, but with the intent to sell. Are, do, you, do you see the same thing? 
I do. And, and my strength in, in sales and marketing, I believe, are two different things, completely 100%. separate. Sales is one thing. Marketing is another. My strength is in the marketing, the ability to market myself, market my product, market whatever it is. Selling is, a, is an act of finding the value. And as long as the price uh, doesn't or value exceeds the price, people are going to buy. But I think that that piece of it has gone away that, yeah, let's check the box. I did the needs assessment, boss, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and we move on. So, yeah, I think that that piece has gone away. Well, also, and there's a lot of other pieces in, in this pie that, that have gone away, customer service, customer mm-hmm. experience, and we'll, I will get to those later. But there's so much of the basics that we've tended uh, to get away from that, uh, that I think that we need to get back to that. Build the relationship with your, um, with your partner, vendor partner, uh, build that relationship, and then move forward from there. And honestly, I mean, that's how we kind of cut through the noise. I mean, I think, you know, I've, we may have said it in a clubhouse or somebody said it in a clubhouse, I think earlier this morning, you know, people want to know how much you care before they're mm-hmm. willing to learn about what you know or what you do. Right. And I just feel like that need assessment, that, that's what gives you that opportunity. So we're talking, we really want to cut through the noise. It's like be intentional with wanting to connect with people and, you know, but, but you have to do that consistently, which goes into kind of our next conversation here. It's like, you can't just crush a need assessment one time and then like, woohoo, this was great. It's like, no, it's all about consistent process. And this goes both for vendors and dealers, and we can take it whatever direction you want here. But I feel like over the next 12 months, I don't care if you're a dealer or a vendor, you're going to have to process your way to profitability. And that all comes from consistency. So, so when I say, I'm just curious what you, when you hear the words like consistent process, all right, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's, like has, yeah. McDonald's has, has what, 14 billion restaurants throughout the, throughout the world or whatever the number is. Um, but they have a consistent method. And, and we've talked about this in the past that if I go to Chicago, Detroit, Dallas, wherever I go, that Big Mac is, it tastes exactly the same. Oh, yeah. And and, and they are able to develop, they've developed the process. And the first thing they did was write it down. Uh, because if you don't write it down, then how can anybody follow it? But <laughs> exactly. that I think is the biggest piece is that, that nobody really sits down and says, yeah, we have a process. Sure. Can you show me that process? Is it in writing? <laughs> you know, that's the first piece. When I, I was in, I was in the banking world uh, prior to, to the subprime world. And I remember uh, one of my biggest mentors, and and uh, you know, I'm not sure where she's at uh, today. Her name is Nan Tracy, but I asked her a question. I went through operations. I was going through all the chairs. I went through operations. I said, "How do I do this?" And she goes, "There's 27 operation manuals along that wall over there. Go pick one out, read it, and figure out how to do it." She could have told me the answer in five seconds, but she yep. made me go through the operations manual and figure out how to. Um, how to process the, whatever it was. I'm not even sure what the question was, <laughs> but made me read the operations manual and they had a process and you have that defined and you have it written down and you have to go look it up yourself because having someone tell you the process, you're not going to learn the process. No. And you know what? I, I, I still find like, yeah, especially we're talking about management, you know, um, mm-hmm. I feel bad for a lot of managers out there because, you know, a lot of the times the path to becoming a manager is just start off as a salesperson. And then once you get to the point where you're really good at it, then we try to convert you into management <laughs> and we give yeah. you little to no training as far as what it actually means to manage it. And managing a process is key. I find too many managers get into it and they think they have to manage the people. 
No, 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 no. The most successful dealerships, and I'm sure you've engaged with them as well, is you don't manage the people, you manage the process. I mean, very similar to the product that you guys sell, right? I've had, you know, I've had uh, similar products that you got that you guys sell uh, installed on my vehicle, and it's all process. If they didn't follow the process, it wouldn't work. Straight <laughs> that just that that simple. And and I find that that's where a big disconnect is right now in in kind of our efforts is is that. Our management team just doesn't necessarily know how to carve it out, and you you, you nailed it right on the head. It's like it's, it's got to be written down first. Got to right? written down. That, that is, I I can't tell you how many times I walk into a dealership and I ask them what their process is, and it's like, it's right here, Jason, right, here. right in my head. It, and I'm like, is no. it a secret? <laughs> is it a secret? Because <laughs> 15 other people are executing that process entirely different right, than what right, you think right. it is. Right? I'm always wondering about that. Why do you think we? I, I always find that there's a level of fear about actually documenting a process. Why do you think we're afraid of getting to the point to document our process? I don't want to say it's laziness, but um, I think it's <laughs> to some degree, I think there's laziness. In, in do you think it's accountability? There you go. What's that? Do you think it's accountability? Do you think it's accountability? I would have to agree that it's accountability. I would agree that uh, accountability is, is in that process. is a part of that because, um, it's, I mean, I, I think that really just kind of nails it right there. It's the accountability side. But on the other side, if you, again, if it's not written down, people can't follow it. But I remember, and I kind of hasten back to the detail, days of detail, is that one of the worst things that I did was train the detailers on how to do certain things, with sure. tinting, ceramic, da-da-da-da-da, because as soon as I got them trained well enough, they went off and started their own company. The worst thing that I could do is not train that guy because if I didn't train him, then he would screw up the car. So exactly. you have to do the training. You have to have the process and show him how to do it uh, because if you don't, the, the downside is, is way worse than the upside. Well, and then once we have it documented and we're executing, we have to have a way to actually measure the effectiveness of the process. That's so that, that's where I actually see, see that at that point, that's the point where I see the best of the best start to separate from the pack. Is it's not only that they documented the process, not only that they're executing the process, but they're actually measuring the effectiveness of that process and then using that data to continue to evolve, right? And, and we were talking a little bit about evolve or evolving and changing. And look, we've been in the industry for a while. In the last 12 months as an industry, we've changed more in the last 12 months than we probably have in the last 40 years combined. Have we? <laughs> Have we though? Well, you know, all right. I think we started to. We started to, right? We did. We started so, to. And 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 I love the evolution of the industry, and I love uh, the, what I'm hearing uh, in in the car business of of people changing, going to the yeah. digital retailing. It's you know the two words haven't been around or, or together. Um, the president of NADA uh, was listening to him last week that that the customer wants three things: he wants speed, transparency, and control of the process. Um, but in 1980, those three things were the same things I think that the customer wanted was speed, transparency, and, and control in the process. We still, as an industry, are challenged by delivering that message. I think that That's change so is coming. That evolution is coming. And there, I think there is going to be a chasm at some point of those that have accomplished it and those that haven't. And, and that there is going to be a, a greater divide as we move forward. Well, and I agree. And I, I feel like we're beginning to see this, you know, we're, we're seeing the cream rise to the top is that, you know, there are some people that embraced 
the necessary changes because of the pandemic and the closures. And uh, we had we were forced to communicate with our clients differently. We were forced to actually focus on our online or our digital dealerships, you know, versus our physical right. dealerships. But now I, I, I'm seeing now since we're 12 months or over a year into this now, is, is you are starting to see people start to separate from the pack. And you see some people, at least I have, I'm curious if you've seen the same, some people starting to wait to kind of go back to the way business has always been kind of done. And then I've seen some that almost kind of, some how fire was lit under their ass and they're just not ready to go back. They are just continuing to propel themselves forward. Are, are you seeing the same? And what does that look like to you, the difference there? I am, and and the Brian Benstocks of the world have have done a remarkable job, and and uh, you know he's a tremendous subject matter expert and in in this field, uh, well respected, well looked up to, and is a leader. And I think that people are starting have gravitated and are following in his footsteps in his path. Unfortunately, I've been out on the road uh, over the past couple of weeks. I was in about forty six different dealerships over the past three weeks, and what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, and what I'm feeling when I walk into the to the showrooms and the lots is is, gosh, I can't wait until this tier goes down and we can get back to, to doing things the way that we used to. Um, so I, I really, I, I see that resistance to, to change quite a bit, but I am seeing that glimmer of, of, come on, guys, come on, come on. We're, you know, there is a different way. There's a better way. The tools are there. Oh, 100% um, they are. The menu systems have done a great job on, on developing those tools for us. And you know what the cool thing is, is I actually think, <laughs> it's funny, I actually think the OEMs are actually doing a better job of this than the general dealer body is. I mean, the amount of changes and that snowball of change since the beginning of last year, um, I find in OEMs, I, I, I was having a conversation with the CEO of, of Ford Canada this morning, and I was just amazed and impressed by how much they've just embraced technology. They're embracing new formats, new new ways to own vehicles, new ways to drive vehicles. And it's just like, I hear more future talk coming from OEMs than I hear future discuss or future talk coming from the dealerships. And, you know, that, that, that worries me a little bit. And I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, if, if for dealers out there watching and listening to this right now, and that are not having these future conversations, you know, what would you say to them? What would, what would be the first two or three conversations that you think a dealership needs to have right now to future-proof their business? I think they need to reevaluate their current process um, yeah. in, in many respects, streamline the process. If it's not digital, I remember one of the things that, uh, that I started, and this was back in the late 90s, um, of I wanted to go with a completely paperless um, office um, that faxes, you know, the, in the days of faxes, faxed in, and, and you didn't have... Uh, uh, you could go directly into your to your system, and and you could automate everything. And we were going to go completely uh, paperless in our in in our office. The technology was there twenty something years ago in order to do that, but the auto industry just wanted to, you know, generate reams of paper in order to uh, to send to you. So we've had that ability uh, for years. I just see that the first thing we need to do is to embrace the technology that's out there. Um, and utilize those pieces in order to to affect that delivery. The model's out there. Mm -hmm. Amazon has mm -hmm. it. Exactly. Tesla has it. Yep. It's not a matter of we have to really reinvent the wheel, but we just have to embrace it. And and we're always going to have that guy in the their gal in the dealership that's been there for thirty years and says, "I just don't want to change." And <laughs> and I think that we're seeing a a different type of salesperson, um, or coming from a different walk of life and a different background, come into the store. 
mm-hmm. uh, that's coming from a different retail background, maybe from the phone industry or those types of industries, that is having a, a different change. People are selling, car people are selling cars at clips that I've never heard of before, 30, 40, 50, uh, you know, Alley, Alley Reddit, 200. That wasn't heard of before. And yeah. that's the leadership we need to follow. And, and you know what it is, is I just, you know, I think when I think about it, I just, I, we're, we're on that snowball. I think we're heading that direction and we just got to keep that going. And, you know, it's funny though, cause I, I did see this happen once back in 2008 during the recession as well. It's, you know, and then it slowly faded away and I'm just, man, I just hope this time it doesn't fade away. And, you know, that there is enough uh, disruption within the industry, within our process, within our operations, within our marketing, our branding efforts and so on, that we stay in that direction. And, and I mean, one of the other topics that we kind of discussed a little bit before we before we were recording today kind of segues into this too, is that, you know, not only a process has changed, but the way that we look and approach websites have also changed, right? It's like, how do we approach the audience has changed? You know, just because they're not coming into the dealership uh, and the showroom traffic is down doesn't necessarily mean that actual traffic is down. And that kind of comes into like, how do we start converting these new found eyeballs? So I, I kind of, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on that. Uh, Cause I think that's a great segue is like, there's lots of website traffic. Uh, there's lots of new opportunities there. You know, you're finding on social media, there's conversations. I mean, there's conversations happening everywhere right now, <laughs> um, including clubhouse. <laughs> Club and class. How, do, how, am... how do you think we convert these these opportunities into you know actual conversations or relationships that is a sixty four thousand dollar question no and, kidding, right? and and i think that in two things you know we struggle with that I, I look at the reports that we get from our web uh uh our webmaster on a monthly basis and and we get sixty four thousand page views and we get this and the, the numbers are incredible and you're like well geez we must be doing extremely well we are doing well don't get me wrong but I just see the amount of traffic and then how do we convert that traffic? Um, and I think if you provide the content that we're looking for, it used to be, let's just put up a website so that we can have a web presence. But now that website needs to be your sales tool. People have, uh, the, the, the car buying public spends uh, 17 hours on the web mm-hmm. prior to setting foot into your dealership. You can provide them with so much content, so much information um, through your website not only about the cars, because it's not only about that. Variable ops has has really shifted in the past 20 years. I don't think that the the amount of money made on a on a, a variable ops sale has really changed. But certainly, what has shifted is is the money. Um, what used to be 70% on the front and 30% kind of in the back is now shifting towards the other way around: 30% sure. on the front, 70% on the back. The, the focus on, on the aftermarket products, so the, the products that customers need, the, that, that provide value to the customer, um, like our product, I get that self-serving, but those products need to be talked about. We've built our website as a consumer-facing uh, or a portion of our website to be consumer-facing so that we can address the customer, explain to them what our program process and, and mm. what our product does and how it's going to bring value and benefit to them. Um, and the pricing is going to be left up to the dealer in order to to negotiate from there. Well, you're, you're telling the story. And you know what? And I think that's kind of, that's how we do it. That's how we convert is, you know, I think to your point, you know, for a lot of people when they started their website solution, it was just a glorified brochure 
of their business and that was it. It 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 housed a phone number and an address and uh, how to call us and how to find us, right? And then there was a little bit of shopping because we'll throw in some inventory in there as well, you know. But it, again, at the end of the day, you know, the story behind why someone connects with you is not your product or the services that you provide, but it's the actual uh, people behind it. And I just feel like if we want to convert more traffic, we have to do a better job at telling the story of what really makes us unique. And, and I know that you've had some great examples of this. So that's going to become my question. Have you seen some great examples of people really being story first, product set, second? Yes. I'm going to digress just a little bit on, sure. on, on, I remember when I first, uh, I built my first website, uh, it was the, the website, the web developer webmaster was saying, we need to put games on there or, uh, weather <laughs> or something so that they have a reason to come to your website. And I always thought, why am I promoting something else? Why did they come here to play games and then happen to view my website? I always thought that was kind of a strange mix. And, and for those that are, you know, Longtime veterans of websites, you'll know what I'm talking about. But today, what it has to be is is we've built our website to to be a blog site. If you want information about um, our product, if you want information about chemicals and how they're going to relate to to the application on your product, uh, particularly in, in the paint sealants and waxes, uh, the difference between ceramic, the difference between graphene, the difference between a polymer sealant, um, all that information is on our website. There's a Q and A session or a section. Uh, there's a blog section on there where we talk about these things. So we want the consumers to come there and be educated and be a destination source. You may not buy our product, but you're going to buy a product in our space. And we want that customer to to be educated and and come as and use it as a resource tool mm-hmm. and not as a information tool um, of here's our phone number, here's our address. But it you needs know, to be functional. I, I've, I've been and, on and, your and website as we carry it forward. The same side of it. I've been on your website though, and what I would have to say is that you guys have done a good job of not like because I, I feel like when people hear the word blogs and people hear the word, you know, like we're talking about the product. Look, you don't go into, uh, and in some cases you do, but you go farther than telling just about the, the the feature and benefits of the product, right? You tell the story behind the product, and and I just feel like as an industry, uh, we've 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 kind of lost that. We've we've lost that art of of telling of telling that story. Um, and and I think what you guys do, there's there's some amazing stories there. Look, I look, I the reason I got my my vehicle sealed, I did the whole was is graphite. Is that what it's called? Graphene. Graphene, graphene. sorry. Graphene. graphene. The reason I got mine done was because I was told a story. I don't understand the chemical compounds of what the hell you guys actually use. Like I would <laughs> never buy into that, right? I'm like, ah, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, right? But there was just this, there was an individual in my area that was doing a great job socially online of telling the story and the benefits behind the product and how, and how you know, I'm going to increase, hold on to my resale value, how, you know, I, I hate scratches. I always, I always buy dark colored cars and it's like, it just, it drives me nuts. Right. So, but I was able to connect through that story and I just feel like we need to do a better job at that for any, for any dealerships out there that are watching, listening right now. And, um, you know, maybe struggle with that, with their team, what, what advice would you give them on how they can kind of get back to the art of of telling stories? Make it relatable. Um, I can give you the brochure and I can, I can, I can give you our website. I can give you everything, but the most successful um, members or the most successful people with our product are those that have the product on their car themselves and can relate a story of 
Uh, one of my favorite stories was uh, Aunt Martha's cherry pie, where it uh, was on the seat, spilled onto the floor. Um, <laughs> and because it was protected, it didn't leave the cherry stains on it. Um, there's a guy that I know in Chicago that tells a story about a bottle of wine, what he was doing driving around with a bottle of wine in his car. That's a whole different story. Um, <laughs> but those that, that are relatable to, yeah, I know that's happened to me. Um, and it's not if, you know, my, the tagline that I really have developed over the years, it's not if, but when. It's not if you're going to spill. It's not if you're going to have this situation. It's when. Love VSCs, love service contracts gap. Hopefully you never have that issue where you're going to you have to use that particular policy. But with our product, certainly you're going to have to use the customers. It's going to provide value or benefit to the customer, whether it be a dent, a windshield, or cosmetic wheel, whether it be a stain inside or outside. For sure. The, the relatability to our product is high. I get that it's not the most sexy product in your, in your product line, but it is a true value product and, and provides a great value proposition for your customer. And those that are thinking of the customer experience first, and not thinking, you know, and not just saying, hey, it's, it's all about the profit or the bottom line. Um, there is profit that can be, uh, can be had with this product. But if you're talking about a product that is truly going to be a customer-centric product, that's the way that we built it. We built it with um, what happens most, dents, wheels, mm -hmm. stains. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that we want the customer to, to be protected from. And they're not currently protected by, uh, by the OEM. So... Uh, this gives them an opportunity and a path in order to to help out the consumer. I, I love the fact that you use the word customer experience because you know I find too often right now that are the processes that uh, dealerships buy into and execute and the products that they buy into and execute aren't necessarily customer centric as much as they're there for themselves because it was the most profitable product. Um, but I've seen the most successful dealerships out there. All right, build process around customers. And, and, and only buy into products that are customer-centric, not because they were going to make an extra 15 points on the back end for it, right? So it's like, how, how, but I feel like that's a mindset. It's a mindset to stay in that because it's very easy it to sway away from it. It is. How do you stay in that mindset, Terry? It's not an either-or proposition. You're not sacrificing, um, you're not sacrificing profitability in, in your products. Our pricing and the way that we have approached this, um, and we were able to to build this in a, in a post-COVID society, that what we wanted to do was to bundle these products and create a price point that is low enough for the dealer that he can preload this. Let's take six or seven ancillary products, bundle them into one package, and take that off of the, the F&I guy's desk or F&I manager's desk and say, you don't have to worry about selling these seven products. I want you to focus on these three products. Gap, tire, whatever the whatever your, your products are that you want to focus on, particularly it's going to be BSC. But let's take those out of the way because we know the customer is going to benefit. But what we tend to do is go in and sell the the, the high ticket items and then go, well, I've got some leftover products here. Maybe you want to buy one of these as well. But if you include a bundle package priced properly, here's a simple math problem that I, I love doing. If you sold, if you took a product mm -hmm. and made and twenty percent penetration. 20% penetration, that's pretty good, and made $800 profit. Mm -hmm. You're going to make the same amount if you have 80% penetration on $200 profit. What I'm saying is that you can lower that and put that at a price point that is uh, consumer-friendly, high customer value, um, and then still have plenty of room left over for the profit side of it, but also focus on the other products that, uh, that you want to sell in your department. And you know what? I think we're always, we always win. 
I mean, I look, I, I, I think of every single dealership that I've ever been into that's been incredibly successful, both in the back end and the front end of the dealership, all right, in their processes and in their products, it's people for it's the customer first, right? And then profitability second. And I know that sounds really tacky, but it's true. If you sit down and, and talk to some of those successful dealerships and successful businesses out there, that is their model. Um, I agree, Jason. Yeah, I know it's getting towards the tail end of our time today, and this has been an amazing conversation. I'm sure a bunch of these topics could probably just extend out a whole other hour if we had the time. Oh, we do another hour. Let's go. I know, right? Um, but before I let you go, though, um, for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now and is really enjoying this conversation and would love to kind of extend this conversation with you, what is the best way to kind of connect with you? LinkedIn is the best way. I am uh, LinkedIn. I use that as my primary social platform. Uh, so please connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, DM me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to to respond. Uh, if you want to sell me Bitcoin, yeah, it's probably better if you don't uh, <laughs> don't hit me up on LinkedIn. But that's okay. I got plenty of Bitcoin opportunities in in there. Uh, but also go to our website um, and there's uh, hit my calendar and you can always reserve some time. That's real easy, very accessible. Uh, in order to uh, to always enjoy sit down and have a conversation, one of the things that uh, that we've done is consistency and mm-hmm. and hit that consistent message. We talked about it earlier from a McDonald's standpoint. We, from Exoblast standpoint, also want to develop that consistency. That the experience that you get today is going to be the same experience that you're that you're going to get tomorrow. Um, that we want to deliver the customer service. That we want to be your partner. We don't want to be a vendor. We want to be your partner and. We want to make sure that that you have a positive experience. And it's not always about the customer. The customer, in, in many cases, can be the dealer. So hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, go to our website, exogloss.com. And we are part of True Warranty. Um, Garen McMillian is, uh, runs the other side, which handles uh, service contracts, GAP, all of the other F&I products. We're a TPA from that standpoint. So whatever product point that you want to put together, uh, bundle it with, uh, with our appearance protection, you're able to go to that website and put the, put a program together. I'd love to have for, uh, further the conversation. Um, hopefully, this is just a start of a conversation. Love to further that. Hey, Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. Enjoy your M&Ms, man. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy Mob Podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to sign up to be a mobster at strategymob.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe.